happiest of Tuesdays to you all. How is everyone doing in this season of fall, season of change, season where it's almost November? Man, wherever you are in the world, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying healthy and safe with everything that is still continuing to go on. I'm so excited about this week's episode. This was an episode I actually recorded over the summer and things kind of got so busy that I hadn't had a chance to put it out in the world yet, but I've been so excited to share it. Uh, It's a conversation with an amazing podcaster that I look up to a lot, Simone Davis. She's a Montessori teacher and a mother of two children. And both her children have attended Montessori right up through their primary school. And she's AMI trained. So she has been working in Montessori education for over 15 years. And she also has the podcast, The Montessori Notebook. Now, Simone really works with the toddler age and also works with parents. So we talk all about how to support parents, how to, you know, how to be a good Montessori parent, quote unquote. We talk about tantrums. We talk about, you know, having your children at home with you, especially during the pandemic, during this really hard time. And we just get, we have a really fun conversation revolving around parenting. It's super exciting. I hope you guys enjoy it. Definitely check out the Montessori Notebook. It is really cool. So it's not only a podcast, It is a place where there's free resources, there's online courses, there's all manner of things involved with the Montessori Notebook, so it's linked below. Go ahead and check it out. I want to take a moment to thank all of you for being on this amazing ride with all things Montessori. I just can't believe that people listen, and it warms my heart every single time I either hear from a patron, I hear from a fan, I get an email about someone interested in being interviewed. Every single time, it brings a smile to my face. So thank you so much for all of your support. If you're interested in donating anything or looking into being a patron, uh, you can head over to our Patreon. It's super fun to be a patron. I'm about to record a bonus episode for this month for them. Um, You get a sticker in the mail. You can have direct contact with me a little bit easier. It's just lovely to have the support of the patron community help keep this podcast going. So thank you to everyone for listening. And again, if you know anyone who might be interested in all things Montessori, you know, the way that I found out about my favorite podcasts is somebody told me about them. So feel free to spread the word of mouth, anything like that. It, all of it helps. So thank you so much. And this episode's brought to you by Sapling Supply. Sapling Supply is an awesome furniture company that is two Montessori dads, and they make beautiful handcrafted Montessori furniture. It's absolutely beautiful and definitely worth checking out. If you want to get 10% off, you can head on over to their website and use the promo code ATM10. Once again, that's 10% off anything using the promo code ATM10. And without further ado, let's get into this really exciting interview with Simone Davis from the Montessori Notebook. Well, I'm so excited today. I have an amazing international guest with me today, Simone Davis, the host of the Montessori Notebook, as well as a lot of other things that we're going to get into today. But Simone, welcome. I'm so excited to talk to you today. 
And Rachel, I'm so happy to be here. I've been listening to your podcast, so it kind of feels really fun and full circle to be on as a guest. Oh, right back at you. I love your podcast. I love the interviews you have. It's such a valuable resource. I ask everybody who comes on the podcast, and of course, I'm going to ask you, I would love to know your Montessori story, how you came to be in the Montessori world. Yeah, like many Montessori teachers, I came and found Montessori when I was looking for a school for my children. I'd heard a little bit about Montessori and we ended up an open day and it was just the most delightful experience to walk into this classroom and it was so beautifully prepared. I'd never seen anything like this because my children are now 19 and 20. So this is 20 years ago before Instagram and Facebook showed us all of these beautiful Montessori spaces. Mm -hmm. And not only did I want to touch and explore all of the materials, it was also the directresses that impressed me so much because they were so kind and respectful, not only to us, but also to our children, the way that they spoke with them. It was very obvious that they had so much care for young children. And also you could also see that they saw them as very capable And that touched me very closely. So um, that school was for three to six-year-olds. And on the same location, there was a Montessori playgroup for parents and children to go along before they started in the three to six class. So I started attending with my son, who was then around 18 months. And I had a three-month-old baby as well. And we went along and I just fell in love with the Montessori approach. And so it wasn't very much longer before I was doing my Montessori training. And Mm. I got to work with Fern at that Montessori playgroup as her assistant. And then life moved us to Amsterdam. And I worked in a Montessori nursery when I moved here, but I missed working with parents. And so I started my own Montessori playgroup here over 12 years ago. And I thought I'd just do it while the kids were small, but it's just, uh, I love it. Uh, I've missed it during the pandemic and it's really fun to be able to reopen now and be back with the parents and children. Like when we work with the parents, you just see that the children are getting to benefit from Montessori, not just in the classroom, but also outside of the home. And you're working in collaboration with the school. And that to me is like a delight to see the parents developing alongside the children, like teachers get to see the children developing, but it's so exciting to also see parents making changes and getting excited. Like, oh, you wouldn't believe what we did this week. And they're excited about an adventure that they did, or I remember to slow down, or I changed up our house a bit and this is how it would happen. So anyway, that's a long introduction maybe, but it gives you an insight into why I'm so passionate about working with parents and the children. I love that. Well, I think that working with the parents is one of the, it's one of the most important things because there's this like weird bridge that happens, you know, they're in the classroom, they've got all the Montessori stuff all around them, and then they go home. And I've, I ran into that issue a lot in my teaching experience of, well, they're doing all this great stuff at school, how can I help them at home? And then, you know, I think some parents are a little intimidated by it, because, you know, <laughs> I think sometimes Montessori can seem like, um, almost a little unattainable because the classrooms are so beautiful and so organized and everything teachers put in so much effort in every shelf, every corner. Um, so how do you help parents kind of break that down a little bit? I, I ran into that all the time. And then, you know, over time there were like little, um, how do I say it? little wins with some parents, they'd be like, I, um, I got this one material or I bought a child size desk or anything like that. So it would happen over time, but it's kind of overwhelming. So 
How do you handle that with some parents? Well, I think because I have them in the classroom with me, they see like their child just super excited to be able to get on and off a chair by themselves because the children I work with are generally under three years old. So if you go to Ikea and you buy a small table and chair, you actually can't get on and off that chair without some assistance. So I go into Ikea and then I cut 10 centimeters off the chair that I've just bought. And Mm. the parents say, oh, I can afford this chair. This is something Mm -hmm. accessible. Um, So I don't go and buy the most expensive educational furniture. I buy things that they would use and then they say, oh, okay, I might make a small change at home. Because I do think that when they start setting up their home to be a bit more child size and accessible, then they start to see the small wins. Oh, my child now knows to take off their shoes by the door because we have a little basket where all the shoes go. And then we're not running around like trying to find shoes when it's time to leave. So actually leaving's better. So starting to set up the home to help us is one easy step, I think, because I always say there's like three parts of Montessori parenting and that's like setting up your home to be more, so the children can be more independent and everything more beautiful and attractive. And so they can be more engaged. And then there's Montessori activities, which, you know, I wouldn't want them once they get to three to six to replicate a classroom anyway, but like what kind of things is my child interested in? We've got way too many things. How can we simplify it? And then do activities. And then the last part is like Montessori parenting, which is like, why did the Montessori teachers, why do they listen to them? So how actually how to, working in that respectful way with your child um, and that to me is stuff that takes longer and that's the yeah. things that I feel like we work more slowly at it's like I always say onion like layers of an onion you're peeling back layers and layers like we start with good job because parents often say good job a lot and I would say you know in the Montessori approach um, we don't say good job so much what we do instead is to really focus on the process rather than the product and also we want to build their intrinsic motivation like how they feel about it as opposed to what we think about it which is the extrinsic motivation like a sticker or um Mm. saying good job and then they kind of like okay and then they notice how often they say good job and then they say what can i what do i say instead and i go oh Mm. okay good next question (laughs) like it's like a child you're scaffolding the skills i don't just give them like the whole lesson Right. Let's break it down for them and so they want more and when they're ready and everyone all the parents will go at the different pace as well. Like some parents will come and after a few weeks, I've really noticed, well, they really already were probably in tune a lot with the Montessori approach and other parents, by the time they've come to my classes for two and a half years, they may just be a little bit further on their journey, but they're, they all got to enjoy it and be part of that community. So I feel like the good job, you know, epidemic, I shouldn't say pandemic, cause that's what we're in right now. I shouldn't say that that's a little too close to home, but the, the good job, it's like a routine. And I actually am interested because in America, I feel like we are very obsessed with positive reinforcement. I've just seen it in every, every which way. Um, and so you're seeing that all over the world, it seems like too. Yeah. Once, well, one, we have a very international, um, yeah, right. we have a very international yeah. of families. Um, but even the Dutch have a word called chutso, which is kind of like, yeah, good job. So yeah. it is just how we were raised. Like I was a kid of the seventies, eighties, and I, that kind of thing was actually thought to increase children's self-esteem. And so if you mm. give them praise, then they'll want to do more of it. And actually, sure. like, I love the Alfie Cohen article that says five reasons to stop saying good job. And it basically turns out that like, when you say good job, they actually become less motivated because if you don't say good job, then they don't do it or it takes away <laughs> satisfaction from their own self. And I was just actually had Montessori, um, the science behind the genius open, um, Angeline Lillard's book. And yeah. she has a, some great chapters on the research behind rewards and children are less motivated when there's a reward involved, which can be praise or a physical like sticker and that kind of thing. And children who 
have a simple thank you or get focused on the process. So what I like to say instead, just to leave any parents who are listening and like, I used the how to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk book a lot with parents um, because mm-hmm. it kind of does say what to say instead. And it's like, you can tell them, describe what they did. So I right. um, put all the blocks back in the basket and put it back on the shelf. And now the room looks really tidy. So you describe that. And not only that, I kind of, it's a no brainer because imagine all the language your child's getting instead of just mm-hmm. this good job. You know, they don't not really, it's not very specific. You don't really know what you're giving them feedback on. Um, or you can describe like sum it up with a word like, oh, you got your backpack all ready for playgroup. Now that's what I call being resourceful. And you get to like give them these fun, like big words as well. Um, yeah. And then otherwise you can just say, oh, it feels really nice to have someone to help me clean the table after dinner. Thanks for helping out, you know, and you can say how it made you feel. So those are three easy ways that parents have other things that they can stay instead and work on it. Wow. And that is such, you know, that's such a more meaningful experience with the child that you're having instead of just like a filler word. You know, I mean, we all, we all get in a routine sometimes and say filler words. I've been there too. And you're just not, you know, feeling that energized, but that's such, like you're saying vocabulary, you're thanking them, you're making a connection. Um, Wow. And that to me, even just hearing that, that would make me want to continue to do that way more than just saying you did it. Good job. Like, good job, good job, good job, good job, good job. <laughs> um, get older, it's so nice to ask them how they feel about what they did. Like, you know, when they're course. painting and they ask for feedback, you must get that in the elementary class. Like, mm-hmm. oh, what do you think of my painting, Rachel? And you'd be like, totally. Oh, tell me about what you've created. And then you hear <laughs> yeah. about the process. And- Absolutely. I know, because I think children, you know, I, um, I, I kind of look at it as, you know, when a child comes up to you to ask a question, to show something, I mean, they're really trying to connect with you. They're trying to, like, you know, make sure that they are doing a good job. They do want you to think that, but that doesn't necessarily say you need to verbalize good job. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think, I think parents can get kind of in this trap and teachers as well, because the child is coming up to you looking for reinforcement. And it's like, Oh, what do I give this? What do I give this sweet child? Who's just looking up at me, like wanting something, um, you know, but, but to show them that, um, you know, what an impact it has on you. That's fantastic. And I also love to say, oh, you look so excited. Yeah. yeah. Because that I, I'm not, yeah, I'm just telling them again how it could make them feel. Oh, you mm-hmm. look excited. And then they're getting, rather than I'm so proud of you, like I'm proud of myself. You look really totally. proud of yourself. It's so cool to see the difference. And then it's building that confidence. Those, you know, I, I love those confident Montessori children. They just, they make me so happy because they, they have ownership over their learning. And, and, and it really starts with this simple kind of, you know, um, thinking about what they are doing, observing them, and then responding to them in the appropriate way. It's pretty simple when you break it down. But like you're saying, um, it's a long process, right? And I'm sure with, with the parents you work with, um, it's like, are you going to come on this journey with me? Because it's not just a day long journey. Like we're in it for the long haul, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I literally said at workshops, uh, this isn't a quick fix. So if anyone wants right. to know, sorry, like, you might want to leave now because like we're laying, <laughs> I, like I work with toddlers and babies and I'm saying like we're planting the seeds and yeah. even as a zero to three educator, I don't often see the seeds grow. I, you know, right. that three to six, six to nine. nine to Definitely. 12. Um, but you know that you're making an impact. Absolutely. So what drew you to the toddler age group? I'm so fascinated by toddlers. So I'm, I'm really interested to see what, what brought you. 
there? Well, I don't know if it coincided with me finding out about Montessori, but Oliver was around 18 months. So he was definitely in the toddler years. And I I just had this empathy for him. Like this can't be hard being in this little body and you're getting frustrated. (laughs) And I just have enormous empathy for them. So it makes my job really easy to see the world through their eyes and to be able to translate for them. And so when a child, for example, is in the playgroup situation and they reach out their hand and they want to take a toy off somebody else. Um, their parents are like freaking out going, oh, they're snatching, you know, like they're the worst kid in the world. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> it looks like you want to take play with that and someone else is working with that right now. And mm. I just do that and the child often just like sinks back and just feels really hurt and understood. And wow. so we need a little bit more like help, like, oh, would you like to watch while they're working with that or would you like to find something else? Sometimes they need a little bit more guidance. But the number of times if I just verbalize what they're thinking, like I have a cue sometimes of children wanting to make orange juice in our classroom and Aww. they're really like itching to touch the um, orange juicing machine and you're like, oh, it looks like you really want to make orange juice. Yeah, you're next. And they go, uh-huh. And then they just like kind of step back. Wow. It's just really cool. Wow. I think a lot of the battle with toddlers is them actually not being understood. And so I love to be like a translator and that I've been able to help parents then understand their children better and you get out of the battle. Um, And Mm. children are going to have a hard time. But the famous thing is like they're not giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. And so I think I just I've also loved toddlers because maybe I am just a big toddler. (laughs) <laughs> like, basically, like, you know, toddlers, they're not shy to say what they see, like, oh, that man's got no hair, you know, I'm not going to yeah, of course, like that. But I'm also like very innocent. What you see is what you get. I'm not, you know, don't have a lot of superficial feelings. Yeah, I, I don't have. Yeah, I'm very straightforward. And like, I just love how they keep us in the present moment. Like if you're walking down the street with a toddler, they are delighted by like, They've seen things for the first time, I guess. Like, oh, look, there's a little weed growing up between those pavers. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, how did that plant grow there? That's amazing, mm-hmm. right? And we're mm-hmm. so busy in our head, like making lists mm-hmm. of everything. And mm-hmm. six to 12 year olds start getting complicated and want the meaning of the world. And I just like how just dead straightforward, they just have wonder about the world. And yeah, they're truthful, honest, just good humans to be around. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, before I got into Montessori, I was a nanny and I particularly worked with children um, under the age of three. And um, I'm just reflecting on, you're talking about going on a walk with a toddler. I was a nanny in New York City, so there's just like a million and a half things going on all around you. But I remember one week, the sweet baby that I was watching. She was just really into puddles that week, just into them. Like it was everything to us, which size puddle could we find? How did that puddle get there? And that's such a simple thing. But I remember just, she was so delighted. And then we had to buy, well, we didn't have to, but we bought an umbrella so we could go search for puddles as they were forming. And it's, it's a puddle, but that's so like amazing at the same time. It's something that as an adult, I completely take for granted. And I I see what you mean about, you know, just really taking that moment to observe truly and look around at the concrete things that are in front of you that are what make life so beautiful, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm. And I mean, also, okay, toddlers can be difficult and they do really (laughs) sometimes and they have different ideas. But what I love as well is like, if you sit with them and sometimes, I mean, I have had toddlers take 40 minutes to calm down. But then they just go back to being their joyful selves again, where right. grumpy teenagers wake up grumpy, they go to bed grumpy, <laughs> right. they're really bad about going grumpy. And really at the end of a toddler tantrum, they don't go, oh, you mean person. They just go, 
okay. And then they're done. March back off again. And I just think that's right. the energy to be around. This kind of just reminds you like, yeah, if we really, instead of actually, what I do see though is sometimes we try and distract them while they're in a tantrum. I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. Here, let's look out the window. And then I notice they're kind of grumpy all day because they've never really got out whatever. About what they needed to. Yeah. yeah. So in a tantrum with a toddler, what is your recommendation to do in that in that situation? Do they need to just get it out? Is that... Okay, well, let's do the supermarket because that's the most inconvenient place to be. Okay. <laughs> Everyone's staring at you. <laughs> and I just really try and be present for my child right there. But if it's awkward and there's lots of people, you're in the way, then I would actually try as gently as possible. Okay, we're going to move you out of the way. I can see you're really upset and they're kicking and streaming, but I move them out. Or I can do it in situ if I feel bold and calm and everything else and attend to my child's needs. And I'm like, so... Usually when they're having a tantrum, their lid has flipped, like what Dan Siegel says in The Whole Brain Child, which is like the prefrontal cortex of their brain, which is where all the rational parts thinking. It's not even accessible. It's like it's flipped. And so they're talking from the animal instinctive part of their brain. Like Mm -hmm. I'm panicked right now. I'm stressed about something or I'm upset about something. So I'm not even hearing what you're saying. So the most I would say is like, I'm here would you like a hug or should I just keep you safe? You know, so sure. 50% of toddlers will push you away. They don't want to be held. So then you're just making sure they're not banging their head or hurting themselves in any way. Right. Um, and that kind of thing. Or if they will let you have a hug, then you can put them on your lap. You can just sit with them. And then maybe once a minute, I would just say, yeah, you're having a hard time. I'm here. Yeah. Sure. And, right. then, I just get, and then they, you start to see like, the intensity starts to go down and then goes up again and then they grieve a little bit and, you know, you see different types of crying as they kind of wrap it up. And then yeah. once you kind of, they, they do have that big sigh, then like if they've actually like spilt everything in the supermarket aisle, then you might be able to make amends by like, oh, you know, we did make a big mess. Yeah. Right. Let's start packing these back up. Would you like some help? Mm. Let's put this one on top of this one on top of this one. So, yeah, I think sometimes we're trying to already rationalize. Yeah, I know you can't have that ice cream. And we're trying to talk to them while they're in the middle of that tantrum and make right. it better. And they can't even hear you. So you better totally. there, let them process it all. And then you can talk about that thing kind of thing after. Yeah, I I often see, and I think I've done this myself when I was a nanny, you want to say, what do you need? What do you want? What's wrong? And they have literally no, they can't answer you. Even if they can't talk, they can't show you what they need, right? Because they're really just not there. And also, I mean, even as an adult, you can be really upset about something and people can ask, like, how can I help? And you're just, you yourself are so upset. You don't, you can't name exactly what's going to be helpful right now. So we can't do that as an adult. How is a two, three-year-old going to deal with it? It's so true. I feel like sometimes our society expects a lot from our two and three-year-olds. Like Mm -hmm. you have to sit here and you can't move. You have to behave this certain way. I'm just like, would you say that to a 25-year-old? No. (laughs) No, and I think it's a balance because, like, if you're in a cafe, you want to respect other people in the cafe. Of course. And you also see that a child who's two needs to move. And, you know, then parents resort to a screen so that the child stays quiet. Oh, my gosh, I know. And it makes me a little sad because you can just see, like, uh, parents on their phones and a child on their iPad and you're like, why are you at the cafe together? You know? So yeah, I know. I do really like to still say like old fashioned. We took a book, we took a little like po- pocket of things and it had like a, maybe a car or whatever they were kind of into and had a little pouch of things. I'm like, oh, what's in our pouch today? And I always had a notebook and a pen. And as my children got older, you know, we started playing boxes and different kind of knots and crosses and all those kind of games. But at first, it was mostly just big scribbles in this notebook. Um, but 
that can take and then also just getting up like oh I can see they're a bit wiggly right now let's go and see if we can see anyone working in the kitchen what are they doing and you know mm-hmm. in Amsterdam we're really lucky because there's every like New York City there's every type of transport you could find so you can just nice, go, right. let's go and take a little breather outside and we'll just see what's going on until our food comes oh look there's a tram and bikes oh and another bike and another bike and another bike yeah. in Amsterdam um, <laughs> but you know it's really fun yeah I mean I think it all just comes back to observing right? Like that's like the, that is one of my favorite aspects of Montessori. It's the same in elementary, you know, I mean, if a child is kind of a jerk during the morning or if they're just having a rough morning, I'm not going to talk to them that morning. I will talk to them in a few hours. Um, And I always find that it's, it's, it's much more meaningful to them and to you. And you're going to have a better solution. Like, Hey, you're having a rough morning. What's going on? And then maybe they don't want to talk to you about it. That's fine. But they know that you're there. So similarly with a child who's younger, um, I love the reiteration of saying I'm here or, or just saying you're having a rough time, respectful and like letting the child know that they're heard that, that, you know what I mean? That they're, whatever's going on with them isn't going unnoticed. Yeah. And I think like there is a misconception in there in Montessori is that like, there's so much about independence. Right. And so like, we just let our child like sort all this out. It's like, actually, no, no. We're, like as a Montessori guide, as the educator, you're there to be like this home base and to check in with them and to support them. And the same with a, a young child having a hard time as well. And I think that's actually brilliant. Like elementary children, you can deal with it later. You can like kind of observe and then and same with teenagers. Like, you know, this morning when you rolled your eyes at me, <laughs> hard time. like if you said that in the moment, they would flip out because they oh, again, yeah. almost still got their lid flipped. And so um, you have to do it more immediately, like with young children, because they won't even remember what you're talking about if you did it in the afternoon. But I just love the parallel, like how you have the same principle, but it just applies a little bit differently as the, you go through the planes of development. I know. It's so fascinating. Do you think that the first plane and the third plane are linked a little bit because of the massive changes? They talk Lighter. about them being parallel planes of development in mm-hmm. our training. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge... Um, yeah, actually, like the hormonal changes that a teenager is going through will match the enormous change and growth that's happening in the young human. The um, hormonal in, um, imbalance for a teenager is like these tantrums of a, a toddler. And it's hilarious because I work during the mornings and day during my class. I had toddlers there and then teenagers at home. And I'm like, oh, my oh, gosh, the parallels <laughs> are amazing. Um, but also what's beautiful is Dr. Montessori says that teenagers are as fragile as newborns wow. and we expect so much of them. And I actually know. when we think how sensitive they are, yeah, mm-hmm. like do not say that to a teenager. They're going to take that so hard. Mm-hmm. And I think it's much easier to be respectful to a baby because they're so new and fresh and innocent. Sure, sure, sure. And so to apply that same thing to this parallel plane is really important too. And I think a lot, I, I always hear like, Oh, we have the terrible twos. And then I hear, oh, I've got a teenager at home. Like it's the same kind of negative, you know what I mean? That, oh, I don't know what to do with them kind of mentality. But you're right. It's such a sensitive time. It's such a sensitive time of growth, of discovery, of like, I don't know what I'm doing, whether you're trying to learn how to walk or you're, you know, entering a new school or. Yeah, social newborn, they say, they call it. Definitely. Oh my goodness. So fascinating. So I want to talk a little bit about your play group that you mm-hmm. started. Um, what inspired you to start a play group? 
Yeah. So like I mentioned, I had my own experience of going to a playgroup with my son and my daughter when I was in Australia and I was just learning about Montessori and even just going once a week, you go for like two hours, the child is exploring this beautifully prepared environment Nice. and I'm learning how to interact with them and maybe what kind of things I could set up at home. And it just had such a big impact on me as a parent. I'm like, this is what I was feeling, but I didn't have the tools. I didn't know like I didn't see anyone else parenting in this way. So now mm. I have some ideas. And so when I moved to Amsterdam and I was working in the nursery, like I mentioned, I kind of missed working with the parents because I could see the children doing amazing things, but it wasn't necessarily being carried on at home. And so I thought, I don't know, maybe there's no Montessori playgroup because people aren't interested, but it just kept growing. And um, I think that it's so fascinating to to get to, it's such a, honor I guess to get to work with families it's such a raw moment of their lives when they're just kind of becoming parents and how am I going to manage this child I can see the beauty that they are but it's triggering me in many ways so actually (laughs) as the years have gone on I feel like I'm doing almost like parent counseling alongside having the children sure and I love that because you know the families well enough because you've seen them often with more than one child as they come through your program and so you can hold space for them knowing them, but you're not such a great friend or related that they will be able to, you know, trust in you and to be able to talk things with you. And they really value that. So wow. um, it's Montessori, but it's also more than that. It's like really holding space and supporting the parents where they're at and the, and the children are just so capable. And so for someone who's completely new to Montessori, it kind of sells itself because you see these children <laughs> who can, yeah, like make orange juice themselves. So like these children who are 18 months old to three years old and there's this little orange juice machine with a big handle. And they're pulling it down and they're getting every last little bit of juice out of it and then they open it up and then they take the peel and they put it in the garbage bin and then they come back and they have this little jug and they pour it carefully into their glass and then they drink it and they keep drinking until they get every last drop and then they take the glass and then they put that onto the um washing up area and their parents are like I had no idea wow. that my children could do that and so a child who's new in that environment when you have a two and a half year old who's already learned all of those steps it's pretty amazing to, to see it is people. amazing I wow toddlers especially when they're given the space are so mm. capable and they like that work you know, they like, I, I've talked to some friends of mine who aren't Montessorians and um, they have their own, they're at their own little baby children at the, at the, like right now. And um, I'm, I will mention things like cleaning or folding laundry or anything like that. And they're like, they're honestly like, what? Like my kid doesn't want to do that. I'm just like, you should try it. <laughs> oh, they might like it. Window washing is like so cool to watch how they develop. Yes. Strength is amazing because, you know, yes, you can buy very small um, Montessori-sized squeezy bottles, but sometimes I can't find any in Amsterdam. So I just get the one that's meant for taking care of your plants um, from the local store and the toddlers are managing it. And like the first time they make it work, it often squirts into their face because they're (laughs) using their thumbs instead. And then they start to work out, Oh, I can spray it on there. And then they get the squeegee and then wipe it down. And like my windows are very, very clean because (laughs) everyone has to have a go at it. I'm sure a very popular, a very popular material. I'm I think sure. window washing might be more convincing to someone who's not got any Montessori background than mm. folding mm-hmm. laundry, which, you know, like I 
but they do. You're like the Marie Kondo folding, mm-hmm. you know, is mm-hmm. going places. So it's helpful to story, I think. I know I'm with you. So you have a lot of uh, resources on your website. Can we talk briefly about that? You have some online courses I was looking at. Yeah, we have online courses. I have blog posts. I have like my favorite Montessori activities. I have Mm -hmm. tips for setting up their homes. I have Montessori inspiration. I have things, questions that are coming up for folks in my classes. And so I answer them. And so you can also get lost. One of the most popular downloads is like a free 44-page PDF of Montessori activities for young children. And I always say like this is, you know, a guide because – I don't want you to go out and buy everything on this list. Um, but it's just like, I've got an 18 month old. I'm not even sure what they're interested in. So we can kind of like, let's have a look around like the 16 months, right through to 20 months. And let's see like what kind of things I'm going to try a few and see anything that's interesting. And a friend of mine, um, Gabriel Salomo, he's a Montessori educator in um, Brazil from La Montessori. And um, he was translating the Montessori toddler for the Brazilian. He was helping do the proofreading. And for fun, he's a researcher. He went through this list of activities and I can't remember the exact percentage, but a great percentage of the activities are mostly with things from around your home. They're not even that you have to buy this perfect Montessori material. And I was like, oh, that's so fun. I never had had that idea to do that. But he just, yeah. Just to say that you don't have to have all of these beautiful, perfect Montessori materials. It's actually great. Like whenever I run any Montessori trainings, I'm like, okay, I know I'm going to, you're going to get inspired that you want to change everything in your house, but you have to reuse everything that you have in your home first. You're not allowed to buy anything. It's like they're furious at me, but they're really then excited when they come up with it. Oh, I had this box, a wine crate, and I turned on the side and I made it into a bookshelf for my children. Perfect. It's so true. I mean, there, another thing I absolutely adore about Montessori is that it is pretty, I I think it's pretty accessible. I I think um, a lot of the things you see online can be expensive and it can be really intimidating, but exactly like you're saying, I went to this uh, toddler lecture, but all he did was talk about cardboard and how cardboard is like everything. And I was like, that is awesome. I just loved it. Yeah. And and he was making a material with a paper towel roll and all this stuff. I was just like, this is mm-hmm. so cool. Um, and, and very accessible. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to break the bank. And I, I just think that's fantastic. Yeah, I think that Montessori does get known for being very expensive totally. because tuition can be mm-hmm. private schools. And so the more that we can get out that this is actually mm-hmm. for everyone and that it's for every culture because it's meant to be culturally responsive. So your home should not mm-hmm. look like my home because we mm-hmm. live in different places. And in our Montessori training, when we're doing practical life, um, you know, if you live in Japan, you should have a placemat that has chopsticks yeah. on the placemat, not knife and fork. So you, we're already making little adjustments like that. So your home should reflect mm-hmm. your family. And I think that every child wants their um, needs to have their personality and their character affirmed. And the easiest way we can do that is to include our cultural elements into our homes and make Montessori culturally responsive. That's awesome. I just have one parting question for you before we wrap up. Um, It's been a tremendous uh, year and a half, almost two years of a lot of unknowns and uncertainty and a lot of sadness. Um, and I, I've been asking teachers that I have on any words of wisdom, but I, I wonder if you have any words of wisdom for parents who are parenting during this uncertain time that we've been living in. I kind of just want to say I'm really um, impressed how resourceful they have been. 
um, and that they should all just say like, we did our best because there's no magic bullet. I think that Montessori held its own during the pandemic because it's about practical life and involving your children and being respectful and not sitting behind a screen and still making concrete learning, you know, accessible and possible. Um, and I think um, that parents just give yourself a bit of grace. Um, and as much as possible, like particularly with toddlers, it's not possible for toddlers to be able to entertain themselves endlessly while you work. So the people who've done their best are like, even if there's two working parents, they're like, who's got the meetings? When are your meetings? What's happening today? And there's basically they're rostering like one parent on between these hours, another parent on these hours. We're going to get outside at this time and then we'll just catch up at the end of the days with a bit of work. Um, Because it's really not realistic to be able to work nine to five and have a toddler at home (laughs) and expect them to be patient. So, um, and if that is your situation, then just think of it as a temporary, like actually, I really appreciate that a lot of educators are talking about there's no like falling behind in this time. They actually learn to deal with many other things, you know, so um, it's been okay. And actually I think a lot of people have appreciated going a lot slower and realizing that maybe I won't add back in as many things when we go back to, shall we put in inverted commas normal? Oh, well, wow. Thank you so much. That's, I feel like a lot of parents need to just hear that and also know that they are doing their best. So that was fantastic. And Thanks so much, Simone, for coming on to All Things Montessori. This has been so fun to talk about something I really don't talk about very much. Yeah, no. Well, thank you again. Like, um, I get to learn so much from you folks about elementary age children. So I'm very happy to share my love of the toddlers and the younger folks. And um, yeah, maybe we could chat again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Rachel. You too.